This is The Shift Podcast. The Shift Daily Podcast has Greg Fish. World of weird things, including normal people getting put into porn movies because of deep fakes. Your face getting pasted into the movie so it looks like it's you. Scary stuff. Are you okay with breaking out of jail to buy a video game? What about self-decapitating slugs? I had no idea slugs were going to take this show off the rails like it did in, in, uh, in Are You Okay? And it is coming up on the podcast. Hank the Hacker joins us to help us understand Microsoft hacks and how people are getting their stuff stolen and how you can do stuff about it. In case you missed it, producer Ryan O'Donnell, it's all here on the Shift Daily Podcast. In the meantime, let's get started with Greg Fish in the world of weird things. Welcome to the world of weird things with Greg Fish. Earlier in the program, we were talking about vaccine counts. America is vaccinating basically what Canada has vaccinated in 80 some odd days every day. And um, let's get uh, let's get some perspective on that before we start talking about uh Matt's new uh, career as a star, porn star. Um, uh, Greg Fish is here. Now, Greg, Sherry, you're, uh, how old's your wife? Uh, she is around my age. <laughs> <laughs> how old are you, Greg Fish? Nah, she's 34. Okay, so um, 34, and she is, uh, she's had her vac- first vaccine now, right? Yeah, she is a teacher, though, and she works with um, kids who have special needs in person. So she was kind of on a, on a bit of a priority list for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. That's great news for you. And I had a friend of mine who uh, is uh, in an old friend that had posted on Facebook in Vegas. She's got her second shot now. So that's yeah, quite remarkable, the uh, difference of how it's going. So how do you get your shot now? Are they Do they invite you? Do you get like a... A little evite or something like how does that work basically um you do get things like little surveys of you know when what industry do you work um and then they kind of prioritize certain groups for that Uh, they just want to get certain groups inoculated before they get to the rest of the general public and then um the the optimistic prognosis is that sometime uh, by april it would be open to the general public but before they want to vaccinate people who are at risk they want to vaccinate senior citizens. They want to vaccinate people who are in healthcare and in education and who have to do their jobs in person. Uh, and then certain essential workers um, that that are a priority before they want to open up to the general public. Uh, when does your wife get her second shot? Uh, in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Wow. So it's going to be right away. That's great news. They basically, they basically schedule your next appointment after your first one. Yeah, in Canada they're stretching it out to like four months now, so it's crazy. Um, it technically viable, but it is kind of well. There's yeah, no evidence to support it. There's some there's some leading evidence to support it, but there's actually no evidence because they haven't even had the vaccine for four months uh, in arms yet. So it'll be interesting to see what comes of this. But things are so different between Canada and the United States in this uh, current scenario. WorldAwareThings.com. That's where you find Greg Fish. There's podcasts. There are blog posts. And he promised um, to share the storyline, oh, dear God, about AI and deepfakes. And for those who don't know deepfakes, Fish, we should probably start there and make sure that we at least reset here for those who don't know what a deepfake is. All right. So deepfakes 
are essentially artificial neural networks that are specifically created to manipulate images. It allows you to splice in different images to create a new completely artificial um, video or an artificial picture. Uh, the way that it does that, it, it borrows uh, an architecture called general adversarial network where you have neural networks compete to figure out uh, whether an image is fake and generate a different image to try and fool that discriminator. And as a result, you essentially have a computer recompetition against itself until it can create something that really kind of passes by the human eye. Now, a really, really awesome deepfake takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, tons of images, but the technology is good enough where somebody who has a casual understanding of how to work with these models could create something that could, with, good, with low enough resolution and quick enough visuals, fool the human eye. So that's really what it's what it's designed to do. There are legitimate uses for it, such as um, visual effects. Uh, it can really kind of cut the time down to make some of the effects, some of the splicing, uh, do some of the rotoscoping. Uh, it's useful in education because the idea is you could reconstruct some of the historical pictures of historical figures and kind of bring some things to life. This has already been done a few times. So there are actually legitimate uses for it, um, and that's really for what it was originally designed. You wanted to kind of uh, you you wanted to first of all see what the networks will be able to do, and second, you wanted to apply them to industries where they would really make a big difference. Okay, so here we are um, looking at that. There's a guy on Twitter that seems to post these. I don't know if he's just figured it out or whatnot, but he does. Tom Cruise. He, there's, there's so many pictures of Tom Cruise, and he, the one I saw recently, he leans into the camera and has a conversation with the viewer about a couple of things, has some of the mannerisms down like, holy cow, and then he actually puts glasses and a hat on and hits a golf ball, uh, clearly because the computer can't keep up to his face, uh, making it look like Tom Cruise from that angle or from that far away or whatever, that he comes back into the camera again, makes another sort of Tom Cruise impression joke, and then goes away. So there are some playful, fun things here, but if you didn't know that was a deep fake, you could think that was Tom Cruise. Yeah, it definitely had a lot of, there was a lot of work put into it. It was it was better than the vast majority of regular deep fakes. Um, and there was definitely some panic from researchers because they ran it through different detector systems. And the detector said, well, we think it's probably fake, but we don't know, which, of course, is the sign to them that well, we need to make better detectors, like, right now. Yeah, yeah. and there was um, there's one point where he pulls away from the camera where you can see his face change. It looks like it goes back to his face. But when he's leaned into the camera, it looks like it looks like the real thing. So this is being used in many different ways. Propaganda is going to be a problem. Politics, it's already been a problem. But there are some new ways that it's being used that I think most people are somewhat surprised by. Where are we going? Uh, we are unfortunately going to a bit of a dark place. And the reason why we're doing that is because the reports of how some of these deepfakes have been used haven't really gotten the attention that, that they need. So before I do that, why don't I start with, with a little, with a little story? Uh, so back in the day, back in, uh, back in, in my college days, uh, I had a person at a party decide that I was actually a secret porn star and try to tell anyone who would listen that that was indeed the case. Now, um, 
I have a face for radio, and as a perfect negative 10, you can no one's going to want to see that, so that would never happen in the first place. Uh, <laughs> but this person was really was really convinced, and I had to basically humor him to get him to drop the subject and get on with my night. But imagine how horrible it would have been if he was able to pull out a smartphone, dial up a video, and it's somebody who looks like me in the middle of a pornographic clip. That all of a sudden would have taken this, okay, well, what's this person doing? And they probably had too much to drink and they need a nap to, oh my God, what what do I do with it now? How do I get it taken down? Who do I talk to? Are they going to ignore me? But the problem is this hypothetical has happened to thousands of people now. There are random trolls on the internet who got a hold of this deepfake technology and they have been putting people into porn videos and then posting them across the web and blasting out links as a way to silence these people or intimidate these people or humiliate them and just cause havoc. And really the, the only, usually the only reason is because they don't like these people and they want to do something mean to them. And that's really all there's to it. All right, celebrities, targets um, for, I mean, there's a lot of photos out there from celebrities, and then all of a sudden you see one of your favorite celebrities uh, in an adult movie. Yeah, and that has been a thing for a while with deepfakes. It's definitely gotten better. But when it comes to celebrities, first of all, people expect that that would happen, um, and they already discard it as, oh, you know, who, who cares? People cook up all sorts of things on their computers nowadays. And celebrities have an army of publicists or people they can call and say, this isn't me. This is some idiot in their mom's basement having fun. Uh, it, you know, it, feel free to disregard. But someone who is a complete nobody, they don't have that ability. They don't have those resources. And if it's posted out in the public, the public really doesn't care. So they might as well assume, okay, yeah, sure. That person who cares, we don't care. Um, and particularly there are people who are kind of maybe have a little bit of internet notoriety. Maybe they're doing something, maybe they're involved in some sort of project that's really taking off and they got someone's attention. And then, you know, there, the, there's people in modern toxic fan culture who get really bad about every little thing and they decide, well, I'm going to do this to this person. And they're just famous enough to where this is going to be a, a career setback and they have to explain themselves and it's going to be a whole to do and a little bit of a scandal, but not famous enough and not resourced enough and not powerful enough to kind of step up and say, okay, I actually need my publicist team on this. I like need someone, I need a lawyer to get it taken down because the problem is a celebrity can issue a takedown to a porn site or a random site. And then the site kind of has to comply because now it's a big deal. There's actual serious lawyers involved. It's really bad PR, but in a random nobody or someone who's kind of like, you know, maybe influencer slash Instagram famous, they don't really care because there's really very few consequences for them to just ignore the request. So people who um, who have this problem could spend years trying to get it taken down. And this isn't, unfortunately, this isn't just a problem with, you know, deep fake porn. It also comes with things like slanderous reviews and slanderous posts about people. In fact, there was a case in Canada where a woman in Toronto was posting all sorts of very horrifying accusa accusations about people who she worked with in the UK, 
in Canada, in the United States, uh, accusing them of pedophilia, accusing them of fraud, accusing them of embezzlement, and producing all sorts of fake documents and screenshots and reviews under countless pseudonyms. And the judges couldn't really do anything about it because they could say, okay, sites, you have to take it down. And the sites would say, well, we don't have to listen to you. We have the ability to post whatever we want, freedom of speech. And you, it's up on you to, it's on you to prove that it's false. And then when they would tell the woman, okay, stop posting on these things, stop doing these things, she would just ignore them and go do that. So mm -hmm. it, there's really, there's very few legal mechanisms when there's something slanderous or horrible about you on the internet, unless you have enough weight and enough fame and enough PR to counter it, you're kind of stuck with whatever's on the internet and not very many good options. Well, it is interesting to, to note that, right? Like, um, this has become a thing, this target. When you post a picture on there, that may not be um, the rights to yours. That's why you'll see on many Instagram accounts, if we have, um, uh, if, you know, sorry if we've posted this, you know, it's, it's your intellectual property. Because the reality um, is that, you know, these little people, if you will, people like me, I don't have the resources to um, sue anybody. I don't have the resources to go after anybody. So there's, there's no help there. Further to that, though, is often we don't find out about it until it's already been spread around because we don't have uh, the celebrity of somebody sharing and saying, hey, look, this Ryan O'Donnell. In a movie, right? Like, no, we don't find out about, sorry, Ryan, no offense, but I mean, it's not like it's going to be, you know, top of news in the, the British tabloids tomorrow. Well, maybe it is. Um, but you get my point, right? Like, there's no resource there. There's no leverage there at all. There's not even and, a phone number you can call. Yeah, and that's and that's a huge problem because... You know, you, you talk to lawmakers, you talk to people who could actually try and do something about it, and they're not interested because it's a very complicated problem. When you start telling sites this is what you can and cannot host, it violates all sorts of different laws and constitutions and, and all sorts of different principles, and there's going to be a lot of pushback about what constitutes freedom of speech and what constitutes a proper takedown request. There are numerous issues about... Uh, telling sites how they can and cannot run themselves. Uh, so there, there's really just not a lot of leeway. And it really just comes down to the idea that the way that the internet and the web as we know it came about is the internet came about because a lot of academics thought if we make knowledge accessible, if we let people debate, they'll come to an educated agreement and they'll all live in the same world and maybe they'll disagree but at least they'll be all in the same reality and worst case scenario a troll comes along we will just ban him from the forum and that will be that they never expected us to spend so much time on the web to turn the web into essentially our public forums and they never really had to deal with the problem of what if there is a group of people whose entire identity now revolves around making trouble how do we keep them out? That's not something that was really thought about in depth during the creation of the internet and the creation of the web. And as things kind of spiraled out of control, we still don't know what to do about it. We still haven't had the, the relevant discussions and we still really haven't set up a framework. 
And now it's really difficult because, you know, cat's out of the bag. You know, we can't we can't ban deep fakes without banning AI because a deep fake is simply a different use of an existing AI architecture that we need for things like security and banking and and um, uh, defense. We, we can't just we can't just do away with it and we can't uninvent things. And we also can't change people overnight just by telling them be nice, because if that worked, then you know, we wouldn't have this problem in the first place. So there's a lot of messy things that we're going to need to discuss and we're going to need to discuss them very soon because we're really overdue. So um, there, are, I know there are lots of lawyer, lawyers. Susie Dunn's been on the show and she's a lawyer that steps into this AI world uh, to try to take it on. But in a lot of cases, there is no source, right? Like somebody creates this deep fake it gets flooded out anonymously to a bunch of websites, and then you have to chase every single website to try to take it down. And as soon as you find another one, there's another cease and desist, more cost, more cost, more cost. And then oftentimes, the people who created it are gone. Yeah, you can absolutely post things anonymously. You can use enough VPNs. You can use enough anonymizing software, and no one will know who actually posted it in the first place. And even if someone is caught, they could claim, well, it's fake anyway, and everyone knows that these fakes exist. So what exact criminal liability do I have here? And a lot of judges are going to be left scratching their heads going, well, it is a fake image, and I don't know what we can really do here. Though, again, the law is extremely complicated and extremely unclear partially because a lot of the relevant laws have been written well before these sorts of things existed or were even possible. And partially because the people who are currently in charge of these laws, a lot of them just don't get it. They still yeah. are kind of the from the generation that's like, well, it's not real life, just unplug. But you can't unplug from the internet now. A lot of us have to do our jobs on the internet. We have to have access to certain types of social media to even apply for work or do our jobs because that's just the way that that's just the way that the world is now. It is sort of falling into the purview, at least in close alignment with revenge porn, which um, is where somebody takes private intimate images that maybe happen inside a couple, no longer a couple, and posts them publicly without permission. Um, those ones, again, there's no real structure. There's a like there's some likeness using likeness of people. Uh, laws and stuff, but there's really no structure to fight against it at all. It's very, very scary. Worldofweirdthings.com. If you want to check out uh, Greg's blogs and his podcast, it's all up there for you. Go check it out. And uh, Greg Fish on the Twitter. Uh, thank you very much, Greg. Always a pleasure. This is the Shift Podcast. Do we have a moon dial or are you done with it? Uh, let's see. I'm just a. Uh... Just adjusting the mechanism. Uh, just since we're in Vancouver here, I've got it at about a 98 degree angle, and the uh, the light of the nice. moon is shining on it in a very like blue. It's a very fortunate color. Let's put it that way. Is it? Oh, good. Fortunate. We like fortunate. Yes. Maybe we should change the show to Fortunate News Tuesday. <laughs> I could dig it. All right, here it is. Are you okay? Are you okay with Call of Duty? That wasn't a toilet joke. No, that was actually just the same as the video game. Yeah, just the video uh, game. This was not. Uh, this was. I wait a second. I forgot to tell everybody we we're changing topics. Um, this was not nothing to do with the flooding toilet.
Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. It's for 13 here, so. Yes. Um, Maybe we should try that again. Hey, um, all right, let's let's try it again. All right, take two. Are you, are you okay? Are you okay with the video game Call of Duty, which is unrelated to Ryan's story? Uh, uh, pretty good. Yeah, I've never I've never played the the video game Call of Duty, but um I've seen a lot of my friends lose their ass like playing it and just really like let like let loose, you know. And uh it's a it's it's a it's a fun thing to see. Oh, oh yeah. It, if you play COD yelling. you get there. I don't play COD anymore. I used to. The first like COD. teen rated very... game. Yeah, COD. That's that's like the abbreviation of it. Like the, fish. But the first yeah, right? Uh, but the first, like, teen-rated video game I ever played was a World War II Call of Duty game. So, like, I love those ones. And when I was in high school, I loved Call of Duty. Now, it's, it's, I, I get owned by 12-year-olds. Uh, my self-confidence just plummets. I can't beat a kid playing it, so I, I, I can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's okay, Ryan. We understand for you suffering from uh, post-traumatic stress duty. Yep. Um... <laughs> A UK man who escaped from prison got caught after breaking quarantine. Oh boy. It's been a tough day. Yeah, you're going to cut me a slack here? (laughs) After breaking quarantine to buy Call of Duty, uh, Clint Butler was serving a 17 year sentence for armed robbery and firearm possession. Call of Duty YouTuber Prestige is key. Broke it down. Prestige is key. Bah, punctuation. Yeah, yeah. There we go. COD YouTuber prestigious key, comma, broke it down. His sentence was set to end in 2024. So pretty close. If he's been there for this long, might as well just finish it out, right? No, no, it never goes that way. He ended up escaping from prison last November, and the police have been searching for him ever since. That brings us to the current situation that just unfolded a couple of days ago. Clint, deciding that he is tired of being in lockdown, wanted to play the new Call of Duty. So he decided to make his way to a local shop with his friend. In that time that they started walking there, they ended up seeing two police officers. And instead of just playing it cool and walking on by, they decided to be really suspicious and turn away from the officers really quick and try to go into a different direction. Which never works. No. That's like when you put your hood up on your, your, your hoodie when you're walking down the street and there's a cop car there. Mm-hmm. We all know that from TV. Um, I guess he didn't get there. My next question was going to be, did he steal it? Because he was an armed robbery guy. I thought it would have been a big step up for the fella if he walked in and paid with cash, you know? Like, good for you, escape felon criminal guy paying with cash for a game when you were in jail you're supposed to still be in jail for thievering well things didn't work out very well he's not very good at the stealth missions in call of duty well done that's very well written thank you um he gave police a fake name but when he was made he attacked them with a kick in the shin and tried to escape oh my god what is he a seven-year-old girl um after a brief struggle on the ground he was apprehended. His 17-year sentence was increased by 13 months for the escape and six months for assaulting a police officer. Yikes. Wah, wah. But technically, it's he not was even out that for like good. three or four months. Yeah, he was no. out for a while. No, he was out since 2019. Oh, really? He had so been an escape for his... over a year. 
And then, so oh, he really? escaped right before lockdown. That's pretty funny. The that irony in that. I break yeah. out of prison and then I am trapped in my own prison. That's kind of gotcha. That's the universe yeah. slapping him in the face. I love that. That makes you walk back to prison and go, look, I'm just going to ride this out in here. Mm-hmm. Man. Dwayne says the Call of Duty original video games are great. Haven't played since Call of Duty 4. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that one. Um, bum, 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 bum. I thought there was another Call of Duty one. Oh, my PlayStation beat me in chess, but I beat it in kickboxing. Says Trucker Dad. Very good. <laughs> Take that. Good job. Are you okay? Are you okay with slugs? I don't know. Like on the wet coast, we get a, like a fair amount of them, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. They're, they're gross. Like people tell you that you can just put like salt on them, but I think that's cruel. Very yeah. cruel. Slugs are cool. I mean, like I wouldn't want to have to deal with an infestation of them, but I think they're they're neat creatures. They can do some pretty cool they're things. They're kind of gross. They're kind of gross, though. They're gross. I wouldn't want to look at one for long, but they're I don't mind them. Like when you see the big ones, them. like the big honking ones that are as yeah. like those ones are pretty gross. They look like they could wink at you, right? But I I like what I like about them is that the pace at which they live life. You know, That's, I think. It's a very mad thing. I get it. I get where you're going. We could all learn from the slug. <laughs> take your time, brother. Just take your time and enjoy the view. <laughs> well, some researchers have discovered that some slugs have the ability to decapitate themselves and then grow their bodies back and continue on, which really some days as you get older seems pretty appealing. If you, yeah. can, you just grow back and have a whole new bod. Um, here's more from Amaze Lab. Researchers at Nara Women's University who studied the life history traits of sea slugs witnessed something peculiar. A slug's head separated from its heart and body, moving all on its own within days. The wound at the back of its head had closed. The heads of young slugs, which fed on algae, began to regenerate their hearts within a week and had fully regenerated their bodies after about three weeks. While the cast-off bodies didn't regenerate new heads, they did respond to stimuli for days after, and in some cases months. What? That's crazy. <laughs> That's kind of, that is the plot of a video game I played where it's like a Nazi hunter guy and his he's like 60 years old and then he gets decapitated but then they get a super soldier body and attach his head to that body. So they're like, "Hey, we can make more video games." That slug does it in real life. It's brilliant. Whoa. Slugs are tasty high in protein. Wow. What are you doing, man? Uh, slugs are homeless snails. <laughs> Mike in Edmonton. <laughs> Steve says, get a goose, slurp them down like oysters. Yum. Oh, God. Ew. Why would you do that? I I was once camping. Me, me and Jen, my, my wife, went camping quite a few years ago, and we saw two slugs on the ground. And this just reminded me. And so they, we watched them. Like we weren't going anywhere, so we just watched them just drinking beer and what you know, the slugs weren't drinking beer. We were drinking beer. Yeah. But um the the two slugs gradually just got like close to, to to each other and we were like, What are they gonna do? What are they gonna do? And then we watched them get amorous with each other. Oh, did they they did, eh? <laughs> oh. It was, it was a pretty It was disgusting. I bet. <laughs> um yeah, that was like the slowest courtship ever, watching them go. But it, man. Worked, it worked out. I mean, they took their time, and they really thought about it. 
and mm-hmm. it, it all worked out for the, for them. <laughs> well, sometimes, I mean, hey, you got to. Um, that's what that's what you got to do. You got to work the thing. You know, you got to take your time. You got to go find your uh, your super sexy partner, and you got to make sure you you know you, you just take your time with it. You just you don't rush those things, man. No. <laughs> And then he just got that nice, gross, slimy love. Oh. Okay, this is not cheering me up. This is just making it worse. I. <laughs> Sorry, Ryan. We uh, did so good avoiding the toilet talk, and this yeah, is where we've come to this, about slugs. Because of slugs, were there. Oh, un- <sighs> crazy man. Try and raise escargot snails. I worked with a lot of slugs through my working life. Uh. Play Doug and the Slugs. Whoa. Wow. Slug foreplay lasts forever. Coitus in slow motion. <laughs> like, I, like this is amazing. Like, wh- who would have known? This is going to be the thing. This is endless list of uh, sexy slug stories. Well, five of the 15 lab-raised slugs, three of the 145 wild slugs severed their own heads while 39 wild slugs amputated smaller body parts like their tail or their feet. If the goal is to get rid of parasites, the tactic comes at great cost. Older slugs didn't survive the severing act. Wow. This is the Shift Podcast. Microsoft is leaking. They're leaking something. At least that's what the news says. Uh, Hank Fordham uh, Hank the Hacker, as we like to call him, joins us here to chat as always. Uh, Hank is a white hat hacker, which means that uh, he gets hired by businesses and to check security, basically. That's a nice, simple way to describe it, isn't it, Hank? Yeah, no, that's about right. Uh, I'm, I'm the good guy there to, there to get in before the bad guy does. <laughs> Perfect. Now, um, I think for those who don't know what is a hacker, because a hacker encompasses a lot of different descriptions. Before we get into the Microsoft story, can you just take like 30 seconds and maybe update everybody who doesn't know the conversation about what is a hacker? Yeah, and and I think that's a really good question because of the whole uh, stigma surrounding the term hacker. And so a hacker isn't necessarily like a criminal. A hacker is someone who's using a device. Nowadays, when we say device, we're mostly leaning towards digital devices and technology, but hacker is someone who uses a device for something other than its intended purpose. So, um, you know, when when the term hacking was coined, it it actually came from a, a train club in MIT in the 60s when they would hack their trains in order to make them do things that they shouldn't necessarily be able to do, like operate faster, more efficiently, or, or use more power. And so a hacker is just a, what, what I would say is a curious person. And what, what we're used to seeing in the news when we see the term hacker is the cyber criminal. And so there's, uh, with with the term hacker, it's a pretty big umbrella term for, you know, the good hacker, the bad hacker, uh, the tinkerer, and so on and so forth. Is it safe to say that um, most of the things we see on the internet, for example, 
uh, websites that can do these cool things and click on here and look at the images flow and our, our stuff flies in and out of the screen when we scroll mm-hmm. and those kinds of things all come from hackathons and a bunch of programmers that look at code and say, how can we make this code do more than it's supposed to do? That's exactly it. And, and especially because when, you know, when the internet was first um, getting big and, and coming out, it was, it, things were developed for convenience. Things really they were, were developed with convenience in mind. And so, you know, like you said, we, we wouldn't have a lot of these funky features and, and funky websites if it weren't for hackers that were there trying to make things do things that they shouldn't. And um, yeah, so I, I think that's a, a really good point. And, and so same with like security. We wouldn't have the, the sense of safety and the sense of security in that, you, you know, your email messages are protected by uh, a certain provider um, without hackers. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, filtering. I mean, I guess even spam filtering is is even that, is being able to identify um, language and words and code that's hidden inside PDFs and emails and EXE files um, yeah. that are that are bad. So, I mean, there is a lot of good to be found here. Now, this particular story uh, with Hank Fordham, Hank the Hacker, is... Um, this is not a good story. This is not the good use of the hackering. Um, but it looks like Microsoft's email server software has been hit. What's going on? Yeah, so, um, yeah, definitely not uh, from the good side. Um, kind of what we're dealing with here is uh, at least 30,000 organized, maybe even more uh, organizations across North America, including a huge number of small businesses uh, towns, cities, and just local governments have been hacked, uh, this time by an aggressive Chinese um, cyber espionage group that's mostly focused on stealing emails from victim companies and organizations. Uh, the group is kind of, right now they're exploiting four uh, zero-day flaws. So four newly discovered flaws in the Microsoft Exchange server email software and they're basically seeding hundreds of thousands of victim organizations all over the world with, uh, you know, remote access tools, tools that give them full administrative access to the machine that's been compromised. And so for me, I think this is a pretty clear reminder that companies have to not only be trained to mitigate security issues from misconfigurations or outdated software, but also to be wary of their own network traffic and who might be lurking behind the scenes without them knowing. Now it does say this is exchange. Um, mm-hmm. And for clarity, I don't believe that does include Microsoft 365, which is a cloud-based version of exchange, the updated version of it. Yeah, no, this is mostly self-hosted um, servers. So office 365 for the most part wasn't affected. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what's the impact here? And is it up to these small businesses that, that do their own hosting um, to, yeah, to figure this um, out? I mean, I would imagine that, you know, uh, Joe's property management company or, you know, Steve's engineering probably has enough money to have their own exchange server inside their office. Are those the people? Yeah, exactly. Small mom and pop shops that are really looking to save money or increase security by hosting an internal or on-site server. And 
So that's generally what you're going to run into uh, is the demographic of, of people who've had to mitigate this are people who are hosting their, their own internal server. But um, it doesn't even fully remove people who aren't internal. You know, I think that this is um, also kind of a good foreshadowing for uh, the amount of supply chain attacks that we're seeing and the amount that I think we're going to see in the coming year. Um, so in terms of your question, I think, uh, what their main goal here was, is just to exfiltrate emails and be able to read emails from sensitive entities. But, uh, what it kind of has the hints of for me is a supply chain attack. And that's the kind of attack that they, they aim to damage an organization by targeting less secure elements in the supply chain. And, so they occur in every industry from financial sector, oil and gas, and even the government sector. Uh, kind of a really easy way of looking at this is when you download a piece of software, it has a scheduled maintenance and update, right? And if a hacker is able to compromise the company that's in charge of maintaining that software and releasing these updates, then they can hide their malware in the update for the software. So when it's sent out, people's computers and organizations' computers will run the malware as if they were running the trusted piece of software. And this kind of this results in uh, a very hard to detect point of compromise and usually leads to a pretty large target count with multiple vendors or companies falling victim. So you can kind of understand why hackers have started to capitalize on this. And it kind of like, it seems like it has some similarities with the Microsoft Outlook attack and that they're going after a large supply chain um, piece of software as a service and, and really getting a large demographic of targets rather than just going after that one company. Fish where the fish are, if you will. Hit one yeah, exactly. and then you get a whole bunch of... <laughs> people at the same time. Okay, well that kind of makes sense. I imagine this to be kind of like even the the down the, the downstream effects of this would be something like even if you go and change your password, this is not what happens, but something like this. Imagine if you were to go change your password and every time you change your password, they had already manipulated to get notified of your new password. That's really kind of Yeah, exactly. And you know what's weird is like that that actually happens a lot where uh people, you know, malicious hackers, cyber criminals will be able to get a keylogger, what we call a keylogger onto a victim's network or, or computer. And then they can actually watch the password changes as they're happening. And so that's why uh, one of my biggest pieces of advice for people is two-factor authentication to kind of um, cancel out if someone's able to eavesdrop on your password from being able to get access as easily as they could without two-factor. And that's when you get a text message that comes to your phone when someone's trying to log yeah. in to confirm it, which is a pain in the ass, but it's a heck of yeah. a lot less work <laughs> than it is to rebuild your stuff. Okay, well, um, for the end user, like me or you or Joe Blow or uh, anybody who's listening right now, they, they might not ever even see this. This is at their provider. Is that correct? Yeah, so um, there's you're definitely right. There's a lot of services that don't really make two-factor authentication super easy to enable. And so for things like Facebook, for example, uh, if, if you wanted to enable two-factor on there, 
I would definitely recommend looking up a tutorial, like how can I enable two-factor authentication on Facebook or how can I enable two-factor authentication on Nest? Because that service will be offered through the service provider. And then as an extra step of security, you can use a password manager like Dashlane or LastPass to kind of uh, keep track of these things. Yeah. Okay, so in fact, um, speaking of password managers, I got one the other day. That's a that's a really neat little thing. It's like a a physical password manager, but it, it's held on a card. Uh huh. So I've been doing some research into that, but like a, I think that's like where we're SD going. Card or something physical. Like that? Yeah, it's like a little. Um, it's an NFC card, and it's called Stash Pass, and. It basically stores your password on this encrypted card that you have to push the button to access the password. So it's got multi-factor authentication behind the encrypted uh, storage. And the fact that so if it's you're a not, really interesting new piece of technology. If you take with it with you, you wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to access it because it's not plugged in. That's interesting. Hey? Yeah. And if they don't have your phone, they can't push the button to access it. It's a very interesting isn't that, um, piece of technology. Isn't it ironic that we're going backwards in time? It's kind of like putting keys I know, in the car I again, figured right? the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. That's crazy. Okay. So if you, um, if you are unsure and you have a paid provider that takes care of your email, uh, you need to call and ask, uh, who is our pro- are we an exchange service and who is mm-hmm. our provider? And then you need to ask some questions to make sure. That's really what it boils down to at this point. Yeah. And, and, you know, for your work environment, just going to your IT guy and asking, what is our what is our setup? What is the infrastructure here? And how can we keep ourselves safer by enabling two-factor authentication? From the article uh, that uh, Yahoo Finance had put in, just to quote this one line, and this is one person's opinion, but it's safe to say because as Hank describes, it's at the provider, so it could affect a hundred companies. Mm-hmm. On a scale yeah. of one to ten, this is a twenty. Exactly, and uh, that's why I try to stress that this isn't the last time we're going to see something like this. And uh, you know, with the Solar Winds attack that happened when um, some hackers were able to infect Solar Winds, and they sent out um, their their software that was infected. It's it's really similar. And and when that happened, hackers immediately started to capitalize on the method. And so when you see things like this, well, it's kind of an old, old method to go after a vulnerable service and and scan the web for it. I think that it speaks really well that hackers are becoming more privy to capitalizing on methods that are like broadcast through media or um, or even just taking advantage of supply chain attacks. Because why go after the one guy when you can go after the person supplying him and 10 of his friends with their, their tools? Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, Hank Fordham, uh, Centurion Defense, what do you guys got going on? Anything cool that you guys are doing? You guys oh, still man, teaching it's people? It's getting cooler and cooler every day. We're, we're Centurion Cyber Defense now, and uh, we do cybersecurity services. I've, I've started to get my foot into a little bit of forensics this week. So oh, that's fun. been really interesting. Um, teams always growing, the company's always growing and we're excited to see what, what the future brings. Uh, so go check them out. If you have any questions, it's a great place to start. Hang Fordham. Nice to see your face, brother. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much, Shane. Uh, Hank joining us on the zoom call and on the radio Dwayne says Hollywood is also responsible for a lot of negative connotations about hackers. I would say, Dwayne, that 
they're responsible for all of the negative connotations about hackers. You know, hackathons is a thing, uh, figuring out ways to make websites do cool stuff. And we get to enjoy the benefits of hackers all the time with the cool websites we get to go visit. Uh, in this particular case, though, bad guys. I have a question for Hank. Trucker Kevin says, are these organized people in an office or garage hackers? This is mega level, mega access, mega organized hack stuff. That is pinching information from you to steal data and secrets. The assertion is, now this is just an assertion. I mean, I guess there's probably no facts to truly back it up because you don't, it's not like you can go to the hacking group and say, Hey, by the way, uh, why'd you steal Bob's email? But they're stealing ideas. They're going into businesses and stealing ideas from businesses that they can action on and find more information. So they find emails and whatever, and they try to get deeper and deeper and deeper into the businesses to get anything that they can produce, steal, sell, make money, you name it. It's thievery. It's bank robbery digitally is really what it is. Whether it's your corporate secrets, access to bank accounts, uh, trade secrets, you name it. It's all there. Crazy stuff. Better double check. And I have the two-factor authentication and multi-factor authentication app, which is also, you know, a little bit of a pain in the butt. Like you don't have your phone in the pocket. You leave it in the other room and then you go to log into something and it says sent for authentic. Ah, oh, crap. And you got to go get the phone and come back. And But you know what? It's a lot less work than, hey, by the way, RCMP cyber crimes, someone stole my identity and stole my house and my credit cards and my cars and and all that stuff. So unfortunate truth i think we've had it too good for too long maybe on the internet a little bit complacent it's the shift podcast well it's time i think it's time we should dive right into in case you missed it it's ryan o'donnell in case you missed it on the radio here's that'll do o'donnell that's how I felt after cleaning up the uh the unfortunate water mess earlier today that'll the lunami yeah, the Lunami. I want to thank everybody who reached out with kind words and also suggestions and, uh, you know, things to do for my own personal health and the cleanup. It's all very helpful. I will call my doctor. It's nice to know I've got a lot of people concerned about my health. Uh, I think I'm clear. I keep up on my shots, but just in case, I don't want no lockjaw. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's try to ignore. Oh my God. The- yeah, it's true. Let's try to ignore the unfortunate water for now. Let's talk about some fun stuff, and let's just get right into it. Now, question. Have you guys ever pranked your significant other? Mm-hmm. Well, that would be one of those marriage advice pieces from yesterday. Mm-hmm. Don't ever prank your significant other. Yeah, never. Yeah. I ne- Just the very fact of your partner just really taking it bad would just be a... It would just ruin your day. <laughs> well, uh, I found a couple of examples now one of them i'm not going to play because it is the dumbest thing ever and it doesn't really make sense on radio however i do have one for you and let's check it out good morning i'm ryan o'donnell with today's TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. so late last month tiktok posted a big compilation video on facebook that included couples pranking each other and there were two that stuck out to me the first one i will describe to you his wife is pregnant, and he emptied a water bottle while they were sleeping. Woke her up and said, babe, your water broke. Oh, no. oh God, no. No, 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 no. Yeah. 
Yeah, there is just a lot of swearing and a lot of anger. And it, it, it was genuinely like the kind of thing where you felt really bad for the person getting pranked and really mad at the person doing the pranking. It's just it's just like way too far. Now, this one is funny because of the reaction from the person getting pranked, the end of it and the whole journey. So I don't have the username, but I will say this is what happens. He decides he's going to prank his wife by taking her wedding ring and just asking, hey, where's your wedding wedding ring to see what happens? Man, this is and this is what this is this is what happened. I'm hiding her wedding ring. Let's see how this goes. What's up? What's up? How you doing? Good. You ready? I'm ready. Let's yeah? do this. Dang I What the heck? Where's your wedding ring? Babe, you probably left it inside. Oh my god. You probably just left it inside. <laughs> hey. Hey. So? I found it. Ooh, what? I found it. <laughs> no, you did it. Yeah, I did. Oh, no. Really? Yes. Where is it? It was in the bathroom. You're crazy. No, I'm not. You're I found it. No, you're, you're crazy. Oh! What? <laughs> Got Look. him. <laughs> so okay. I can actually kind of respect the wife there for going, yeah, he does not need to know this right now. It's date night. I'll address this later. Uh, they seem to be good sports about it, but that was a risky prank, man. Let me, uh, okay. We talked about are you okay with marriage advice, Ryan? Mm-hmm. Can I, can I, may I? Yep, go for it. Don't ever do that. Don't ever be yeah. okay with oh, I'm lying. Not planning. <laughs> Don't ever be okay with uh, she didn't want to make it a big deal tonight and didn't let him know. Um, you absolutely, you got to be like, babe, I can't find it. I'm sure it's there. Let's go have a good time. We'll find it when we come home. Like good you, point. oh my God, like do not ever. Wow. Yeah. <sighs> also, yeah. Uh, first anniversary gifts, get those too. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, that too. Just on top. But uh no, it's a good it's a it's a prank. But uh, you know, pranks are just never a good idea unless it's so good and the end result is the person being happy who's getting pranked. But that rarely happens. And there's an example of it. Uh now, something that does make me happy, and I've mentioned on the show many times, it's not sneakers or Lego, okay? It's the upcoming Justice League cut. Okay. Now we're getting closer and closer, just seven days, I believe, from now. Yes, it drops midnight on Thursday the 18th. Zack Snyder's over four-hour cut of Justice League is coming, and a new teaser leaked. And it's a pretty cool teaser because it shows off for the first time ever voice acting of the main villain of the movie, Darkseid. Now, for those of you who don't know, Darkseid is basically Thanos, but the original version before Marvel copied Darkseid and made him into Thanos. This is true. Okay, this happened. They're both kind of different in the long run, but you can see where I'm going there. Basically, giant evil purple slash gray villain who wants to destroy the universe. Yeah. They're kind of the same villain. They do different stuff, and they're cooler. Now, Darkseid was all shot and everything before Zack Snyder left Justice League and Joss Whedon finished it and Joss Whedon was like, eh, we don't need him and cut him from the movie. So we didn't get to see any of it. But 
the voice actor here for this film, which I had his name written down, but I'm not sure. Oh, Ray Porter is his name. Does an amazing job of creating this very generic but very intimidating evil comic book villain voice. So get ready to hear your radio speakers vibrate over how deep this man's voice is and how creepy it is too. So let's let's check it out. I have turned one hundred thousand worlds to dust. Looking for those who robbed me of my glory. I will stride across their bones. It's so cool. It's so cool. It's just uh, the 14 in me, 14 year old in me just like exploded with happiness. Oh, he just talks from like way down here. Me mine. I loved it. Uh, now in the teaser, you get to actually see Dark Side. There's a point where he's like he's he's covered, he's like black and gray, and he looks like he's on fire. Uh, maybe it's like a supercharged up version of Dark Side. Who knows? This movie's gonna be four hours long. I have no idea what's gonna happen. Only four but all hours. I know, only yeah. Uh, I I just can't wait to dedicate a whole afternoon to watching this movie with my roommate. Uh, it's gonna be dope. And it's a cool thing to look forward to. So there you go. Batman, Superman, all the gang, Wonder Woman, Cyborg, the Flash are going to be fighting that guy. And I think it's going to be pretty cool. Nice. Something that is not cool. A show some of you might have watched, a show I have seen a couple of, and I know one of the actors in, is getting canceled a little bit sooner than I think a lot of people thought. Here's, let's get the clip. Tenet, God give to you two ears and one mouth. Listen two more times, then you're talking. But I'm the one who said Stop. that. Stop. Listen. Kim's so convenience. Sad. Yeah. Way too soon. Close up shop after its fifth season. The show's producers say the series will come to an end on the 13th with the final episode of the current season. It's a full season shorter than what was planned in early 2020 The when the show was renewed for an additional two seasons at the CBC. Uh, the producers saying a statement that they decided they couldn't move forward with another season after two of the show's co-creators left to pursue other projects. So it's unfortunate that they're not able to wrap this up in the way they were hoping to. But I respect that. You know, like, what do you prefer? We can give you one full season that's going to be great and a little bit earlier than we thought. Or we can stretch this out for another season that's probably going to suck and you're not going to like it. Game of Thrones. <laughs> no, I mean, that's true. Like, as as great as some television series are for being like 10 or 11 seasons long, at some point you're just squeezing the last bit of toothpaste out of the tube, you know, like writing wise, content wise, you know, so some shows should have an end point, you know, like Shit's Creek, for example. Yeah. There's a natural time for a show to end. Some shows it takes 30 years Simpsons to find that. And some shows it's, two seasons it's you know it it happens when it happens uh and i don't think the show got the right time but you know i'm glad they went with this decision if they're going to end it now the actor i want to shout out his name is andrew fung he is from calgary he is an improv legend in this city if you've gone to loose boost theater you have seen this man performing he is incredibly funny and he has a 
dope sneaker collection. Him and I are in the same sneaker group, and I see him posting his shoes for sale every now and then. He's a size, I think, a 9. I'm an 11, so I can't buy any of his shoes. But he's super great, super funny. I've got to chat with him a couple of times. And, uh, man, I hope you can find some amazing work after this. You deserve it. Wonderful work on this show. And to all the actors, such a great Canadian TV show. Like, just so wonderful. Well, Andrew, he's kimchi, right, on the show? Yes, yes. He's so hilarious. So funny. I love it. Um, what a great show. Like, just, it's yeah. good-spirited family fun. And uh, we exactly. don't, I don't know if we get a lot of those anymore. I feel like I want to throw back a lot to these old sort of notions and way of life. I don't want to sound like a, too much like an old guy. But no. the reality no, is, wait, no, I'm I mean, with you. We could use, like, Shit's Creek was a great example of, of a, a good show like that, a throwback show. As much as you want to say that, you know, it, it, uh, and it very much did challenge some conventional, uh, some, uh, stereotypes in today's world. The reality is it was still all about this incredibly dysfunctional family that stuck it out, figured it out together, right? Like, as much as they drove each other crazy. So things like Kim's Convenience and these shows, they're so important. So Yeah, it's uh, one of the reasons why I keep going back to shows like Parks and Recreation and shows that really just show kind of the good in people. I need to watch those more than I need to watch another, you know, police tv show or army show like i need those in my life more and it's it kind of feels like the wrong time for a show like this to be ending Mm. yeah yeah you could be right yeah you could be right there that's for sure yeah Mm -hmm. um another thing i wanted to talk about this is an interesting thing and i thought i'd bring my experience uh working in this industry uh not radio uh video games so speaking during uh a teleconference uh last week uh, Take-Two Boss, who's a game developer, uh, his name is Strauss Zelnick, was asked for his views on the reaction to NBA 2K21's price point. If you don't know this, that game is $90 Canadian. And he said, we announced a $70 price point for NBA 2K21. Our view was that we were offering an array of extraordinary experiences, lots of replayability. And the last time there was a frontline price increase in the U.S. was 2005, 2006. So we think customers are ready for a price hike. And I just wanted to address that. I think that's ready. the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm now, sure they're I worked, ready. Oh, I'm, I'm ready to stop buying your games. I worked at EB Games for almost six years. It was the job I held to get me through school. And while I do not love that company, I love the people that work for it. I love the community of video games. And I very rarely had bad experiences. But I talk to customers a lot. And the one thing I hear every day, when I started working at EB Games, games were $59.99. When I left, $79.99. And I remember every day would be, I can't buy more games anymore. I used to come in here and buy two, but now I buy one game every six months. I just can't afford it. It's ridiculous. And this price point, $90 for a brand new game, even with the PS5 when this stuff came out, how are you supposed to justify that? You spend $600 on a console, and then they say, you're going to have to spend an extra almost $100 with tax to just play a game for it. It's just absurd. And it's it's and the problem is a lot of these games like NBA have microtransactions where you pay $90 for the game and then the game says, "Hey, if you want the full experience, you should spend yeah. another $100 for in-game cosmetics and to have fun." This industry is just ridiculous and I understand that some games they put in so much work and you get hundreds of hours of content out of them. 
that the idea is we put in this much work, you can pay $90 for it. And there are some games where I think that could be justified. A game like Cyberpunk, which does not cost $80, or uh, Demon Souls, big, big story-driven games with hours of content, that's one thing. But 2K21, where six months from now, 2K22 will be out, is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And it's just taking advantage of consumers. And this is like this is a way you drive video games down. One of the reasons why people love gaming is the accessibility of it. Anybody can play video games. Well, not if they can't afford them. I um I I, I think that there's an awful lot of people that have their parents' credit card attached to their accounts and they will just go click. Can I buy the game? Yep. Click. And no one's gonna ask. And I think that that's where some of the money gets spent and hidden. And uh, that's that's really a thing. I know that you know with um, V bucks and all the things that come with fork knife, mm-hmm. is that um, there was an awful lot of kids that would get twenty bucks from their parents to go to the store. They would go to the store and they wouldn't get a Slurpee or whatever. They would get a you know a video game card and they would go buy new skins for twenty bucks. Yep. And when I found out that you know that that's what people spent money on, I'm like, there's no way. I'm not never giving you. Actually, I, I even got to a point where I said to my kids, I, I'm I'm not even. You don't, we're not even allowed to save V-Bucks in this house because it goes way too far, the amount of money that gets spent on these things. And that's a video game that was free and with all kinds of in-game experience. Kind of like when you get apps now, all apps are free, but if you want the full experience, you got to pay. Yeah, and it's it's just it's unfair. And John from Toronto says, just do what I did, get a PS3 off Kijiji. Now, here's the thing. I actually try to buy used games now because the prices are much better. You can get discounts on it, and I don't need it to be brand new. Um, but there's where some of the accessibility comes with. The PS3 is almost like, what, 13 years old now? And the PS4 is still pretty expensive, and PS4 games are still pretty pricey. So the cheaper option of gaming these days is still way too expensive. Uh, But people are still buying. And when it comes to -to free-to-play games, the game I play the most is called World of Tanks, which is free-to-play. I have put a boatload of money into this game because it's free but you can spend $50 to get a tank now the tank gives you bonuses and stuff like that now I actually get value out of this stuff because I literally will put in a thousand hours of this game a year easily I play it all the time but so many people put money into these games for a cosmetic skin and then there's a new game that comes out that's free and they never touch it again if you're going to put your money into a video game you need to get something out of it that's more than just a temporary satisfaction it's it's very frustrating, and I really hope this is not the direction. I think consumers really need to voice their opinion. This is too much. $70 is the most I'm going to spend on a video game. It's just not fair. And I feel mm-hmm. bad for people, especially in low-income families. Their parents save up forever so that they can get their kid There's this PlayStation, and they finally have it. And then, oh, by the way, we're not going to be able to afford to buy you a video game for your brand-new console for like six months. It's just It just takes away what I think makes games so special. Uh, that's true. It's a very, very good point. And it, you know, it sucks. It, it, and I, the thing that always gets me with this, not to sound like the old guy, because I feel like I'm doing that in the video game conversation, is that um, it, it, nobody understands the value of the money. I remember there was a guy named Kirk went to school with, and Kirk uh, went to his bank account and he drained like a bunch of money out of his bank account. And at lunchtime, he went to the arcade, and at 25 cents at a time, he finished Bubble Bobble. But when he finished Bubble Bobble, he knew how much money it cost him to do it, and there was a finish line, and he could say, I finished Bubble Bobble. All of these games just get you access. It's software as a service, right? And it um, that's when you see the, all these things online, the SAAS, software as a service. And these, and the kids, 
these kids these days get off my lawn. <laughs> um, but the kids, they don't understand the cost of it. They don't understand their console is $1,000, right? And it's $100 a game. I paid, this is old guy stuff, I'm sorry, but I paid 600 bucks for my first car. The video yeah, game it's console costs yeah. cost that much, right? And so the, the mm-hmm. context has been lost in so many ways. But we as consumers, we can we, we continue to buy more. So we do it. So we enable it because we got to have it. $1,800 for a cell phone, you could buy a laptop for 14 Think about it. It's all kind of the same conversation, you know? Hey, in case you missed it right there, do you remember when you got 10 tapes for a dollar from Columbia House? Then you had to buy 10 more in the next two years. That's so true, hey? Boy, you were so excited to get those CDs or cassettes. But then I got Glass Tiger, Thin Red Line, and it wasn't the Thin Red Line clear version. It was a black version of it. I was pissed. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.